uh, April and her circumstance uh, there. Lord, we're grateful for the time in your word. We're grateful for the fellowship. We're grateful um, for Jack and April's baby on the way. Uh, we know it's difficult uh, being separated by that far a distance, and we'd ask that you would protect April throughout the threat of this fever and any other threat that might be out there, Lord. We all live under them, and they will all take us out at some point, Lord, but we'd ask that you would be a blessing to their family as it gets established. Thank you for your word. In your son's name, amen. Okay, if you have a copy of the sermon notes, you're looking at the top of the left-hand side where it's Proverbs 16.11. A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. And you say, boy, you're grasping after it now, Wilson. Looks like you run out of stuff to talk about, and we're down to weighing things. A just balance. I, I, I've been in a number of discussions this week on justice. I'm trying to define it, trying to figure out applications. It's a, it's a big question. And so when I was thinking about it this morning, I don't, in the tub, I said, well, I've been thinking about justice a lot. What passages on justice spring to mind? Tragically, Proverbs 16.11 did. A just balance in scales. I said, well, that's not going to develop into a sermon very well. I'm going to have to really twist the scripture. What else comes up? Go for the second, second level. And then I remember the first Timothy passage, which is on your right-hand side. First Timothy, uh, the law is not laid down for the just. In First Timothy 1, 9. So, okay, there's something going on there. That's applicable. What do we mean? Because when the law is not laid down for the just, there's the assumption, you guys that you are the just. That's why we don't stress the law, Ten Commandments, Law of Moses, all the rules. We don't have any rules here. Because we expect that Christians live differently than under the law. But if it's not laid down for the just, it's not for the people who walk through the door of a church building. It's not for people who are regular of attendance to this particular ministry or any particular ministry in town. That's not what makes you just. So I wondered to myself, what, is there any connection between these two passages that sprang up? The just scales and weights? Just balance? The weights in the bag are his work? So I was meditating on that. And one other verse came to mind, probably came to yours as well, the Micah 6, 6, 6, 8, excuse me, which is the one on the top. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? That's a nice good question. What do I bring to God? In ancient cultures where you serve, you know, hairy thundering gods who wanted you to sacrifice something, you came with fear and you presented something and said, please don't hurt me, do good things to me, help me out here. 
What shall I come before the Lord? And how bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? With ten thousands of rivers of oil? Those are all standard sacrificial things that the Jews used. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? That could be your Christmas reference. And God gave his firstborn. Hi. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? All these seem rhetorical, like, yeah, no, we've got, that's not going to work here. The law is not going to work here. The law is not written for the just. What shall I do? He has showed you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That was the third passage that came to mind, is the word just and justice, which just floated around in my mind. What did, what's the tie-in? What do I want you to walk away with? Now, what's interesting, is, you know, we're, we're a fan of context around here. Because that passage you will see on countless posters, the... Micah 6 8. Because it's kind of, kind of touches you, doesn't it? Kind of your modern evangelical, soft hearted, you know, love justice, yeah. Got to stop the sex trade. Yeah. Good luck with that. Oh, we got we to gotta stop abortion. We got to stop. Good luck with that. Is it really that kind of thing? Or is it something else? It says. You do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. That is a bit more, you know, a, a, a rivet gun putting you into a place that if you thought about it a little bit longer than just having a soft focus uh, poster on your dorm wall, what is it to do justice? Odd phrasing, what is it to love kindness? It doesn't say to love, it says love kindness. When you walk humbly with your God, not proudly, humbly. When I look at a just, anything just, and the word, the word is sometimes translated in the scriptures, whether Greek or, or Hebrew, as righteousness. Which doesn't always communicate, sometimes the word just doesn't communicate that he means righteousness, and sometimes righteousness doesn't communicate that he means just. Because we don't see how the two are, you might say, common. Justice, a just balance and scales of the Lord, that's where that verse comes in handy for us. It lets you know what we're talking about to a degree when we say just. What's wrong, what, what, what is different about unjust weights and measures? They say one gram, but they don't weigh a gram, do they? They tell the person you are weighing the meat out for at the counter, at the butcher's, that you're getting a pound of sirloin and you're getting almost a pound. 
Because they're lying to you. Because what is measured is inaccurate. It's making a claim that is not showing the, you might say, the commonness, the ordinate value and the equitable value of something. How important it is, how actual the common thread. Have you ever been in an argument with somebody who used a word um, knowing that you meant something else by it and they didn't tell you what they meant by it so they could get you wound up in a, into a problem that wasn't of your own making? That's what an inaccurate weight or measure does. It tells a false story, gets someone believing something else. It's not equitable. It's not the ordinate right and objective claim that everybody can look at. So when you go to a court of law and you want to see justice done, you want everybody to walk in and go, okay, yes, the proof was here, the problem was this, the punishment is that, all of it out and above board, all of it proved, all of it argued, so that it will be just that you will do justice in the situation. That everyone knows that the weights and the measures are the same. The measure of the world's the same for the rich man and the poor man. The rich man murders somebody, he goes to trial for being a murderer, just like the poor man goes to trial for being a murderer. Because murder is the same, rich or poor. The Lord requires that we do justice. As a Christian, and we're going to get to this passage in a bit, we don't have this as a law that we do justice. We are set free from the law because we are just, because we have become those who understand the ordinate placement of everything. We are told in all these cases to have these real simple riveted things. Do what is just, measure your world accurately and treat it consistently, constantly, with that ordinate valuation. Be right, and be right in treating it. Love, kindness. In other words, you're, you're in love with the act of loving. If you wanted to, th I was thinking about it a little later uh, in the notes, I you're leaning outward on your knees. You're humbly before your God. He is deciding what's going to be done. You're leaning outside yourself, not inside yourself, not serving you, serving other people. Even the unkind and the selfish. As a person who understands where everything goes in this world. You're, you know... I'm okay at Tetris. Leslie's really good at Tetris. A very simple equation, right? You're playing Tetris, if you ever played. This is old stuff, I realize. But there are certain, you almost become aware of a world. You guys got peripheral vision, you be going to a second space, you get this kind of oneness with the computer universe, and you're dropping blocks, kind of knowing what's going to come and knowing what's down at the bottom and it all, just like typing, you know, you just know where the fingers go. All the shapes. The person who is just, the person who is righteous, 
knows God's world. Now, it tied together wonderfully for me when this passage that it has in verse 8 of Micah, I kept reading, verse 9, The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is, and it is sound wisdom to fear thy name. Hear, O tribe, and assembly of the city, can I forget the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked? And then it says, and the scant measure that is accursed. Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? <laughs> he comes running around to the same thing the Proverbs passage is talking about. Whether or not your measure of the world you could speak frankly and without guile about because you are holding to what, how God has measured the world and how God wants you to measure the world, the path he has set out for you, and you are humble before him in it. And you're looking for the other person's benefit in it. Remember your loving kindness? Because the man with the deceitful weights, he's not, he's rare. I don't know if you've ever found a butcher that measures deceitfully in your favor. You know, maybe if you're pretty. Here, let me give you a few more ounces of that sirloin. No, people are deceitful for their own benefit. That's why they have the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked. That's why their life gets piled up with stuff, because they're cheating everybody else. They think that's the path that they ought to walk. But oddly enough, right after it tells us to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God, it tells you how much he hates deceitful scales, deceitful weights. Now, I think he really meant in Micah, the bazaar, the, the trading area that people did everything by. There were no standards. It had to be people who agreed to a certain standard. Yes, it should weigh this much. Gold should weigh this much. We all agree what, what that is. So I think he's really talking about that, but I think we have a more complicated world. Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. One of the biggest problems is in Christianity, Christians' lives, is they are willing to believe what is untrue because it makes them feel better. They're willing to believe pastors that say deceitful things because it promises them all sorts of stuff. Um, we get into theological arguments that are pointless and we're willing to deceive in order to win because everything is a matter of who won um, the numbers game, how many people joined your group. Speaking lies, deceit, is the wickedness that the Jews were guilty of here. It is the nature of all wickedness that we, in serving ourselves, we adjust the truth of what is in order to serve us rather than serve God and others. Because the truth wants to serve God and serve others. We want to walk humbly with our God. We want to love kindness. That's what the truth brings to you. That's what you're looking for. In order to be just, you have to know how the world is. What did God make it to be? What did it become? God and I were talking about justice the other night, about the nature of laws and, and the realists who go, you know, laws are there because people are wicked. 
Not because we're not writing utopian you know, wish laws where wouldn't it be nice that every place that you didn't want a shooting to occur, the sign that says this is a gun-free zone, really stopped anybody? Wouldn't it be nice? But no, that's a utopian law. It's just, that's unicorns and rainbows. That's nothing uh, that's going to happen. You have to realize there are bad people with guns. And the cops have got to do something about it. We have to realize what is true. You start making foolish rules when you don't realize what is true. And if you join the lack of truth in the deceit and the speaking of lies, you're the person for whom law is necessary. What I want to encourage you today about is, you know, I have this Timothy passage, first chapter. Um, it's been less than a year since I went through that. It was back the first Sunday of this year. Uh, but I was talking about something else in the passage. Um, because this idea of becoming one of the just is where you have to not just obey the rules because the rules don't apply to you. It says the law is not written, not laid down for the just. So how am I just? I have to be just by a different measure. I have to be just by some other thing than rules. The calamity, therefore, verse 13 of Micah 6, I have begun to smite you, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat, but not be satisfied, and there shall be hunger in your inward parts. You shall put away, but not save. And what you save, I will give to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. For you have kept the statutes of Omri, and all the works of the house of Ahab, and you have walked in their counsels, that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing, so you shall bear the scorn of the peoples. Now, in no way is this passage suggesting as it walks forward into deception and lies or justice, suggesting that we as a church come up with a book of church order, standards and measures, make sure everybody's scales in their bathroom are honest. You want that? Do you want that? Elders coming over, putting a weight on the scale and adjusting it, and now you just gain 20 pounds. You want to be lying to yourself in those moments. We're not suggesting that the scales have got to become internationalized. We are saying that the scales, the pursuit is in the individual to speak honestly, without guile, knowing what is and ought to be believed by the other people in your life. Because looks at what it, what's at stake. If I do not, if I decide that Remember how we've talked about in recent months how everybody thinks they're a demigod, everybody thinks they should be in charge of everybody else's life and their own life, at least everybody else's life that touches them. Have you ever had one of those fits in your family where you stomped around the house insisting that if it didn't happen the way you had decided it was going to need to happen, nobody was going to have another peaceful moment for the rest of their days? Or the kid who's six years old who walks out the door. He's got to run away from home with one sandwich. 
Because if he can't have it his way, by gum, he is going to insist. We were talking with uh, Nico Zarate last night about homelessness, about how many are addicted to homelessness because they cannot, even when given things, a place to live, a job, they can't accept it. They cannot submit to anyone. They have to be absolutely in charge. When you're absolutely in charge, well, you've talked to homeless people who want to get 20 bucks off you. There's some great stories, some great fiction. I suggested last night that to Nico that somebody go around and chat with all the homeless guys, you know, with cardboard, because they've got some great stories. Incredible moments of tragedy that have brought them to this piece of cardboard moment. And you should tape it, and then go home and write the stories as a short story, and publish it, the stories of the homeless. You'll make millions. They're great stories. They're like, they're like Shakespeare, and they're convoluted. How many times have I heard the story that my daughter who was killed by an IED in Afghanistan, and I got to get to her funeral in Minneapolis, but my car doesn't work, could you give me 20 bucks? I've heard that story a few times. I don't think by the same guy. Stop. Because when you serve yourself, you want to make the world, because the world doesn't really work on you and, and, and wasn't designed by you, and so you've got to kind of lie a little bit, adjust the weights and measures to make sure it comes out in your favor, right? Because it, heaven knows you're God. But what happens? The universe, you've heard me say before that reality has a way of catching up with bad doctrine. Your lies, for a while the treasures of the wicked pile up in your house because you're cheating someone else. But things start to happen, you will not be satisfied, you will not save, you will not reap. You will not anoint yourselves, you will not drink wine. Because you've walked in the counsels of those that do not define the way it is. Who live in the deceit regarding the world. That's why it's important, you know, I, I like philosophy and I like to argue philosophy. And, you know, it's avocational, it's fun. But in some ways, it's important for you to become, at least to the degree you function in your world, if you function to whatever degree you do, for you to have thought about what the world has told you. Because it has told you the counsels of Omri and Ahab at the university, on the TV, on the video game you play. It has told you a different story, sometimes close, sometimes removed from what is um, true, but your justice for you to be benefited by the walk with Christ, to be able to do justice, you have to become this person who sees the way the world is. Wise as serpents, innocent as doves. There's another passage that talks about becoming um, capable and discerning good from evil. Well, isn't that what the list of rules is for? Yes, for the unjust, because they're telling themselves lies all the time. You discern good from evil. You know what the difference is, not because it's a rule, because it's how you think the world is. 
your weights, your measures, your scales, your balances are just. First Timothy 1. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor occupy themselves with myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than divine training that is in faith. What happens in Christian circles is you will find a world of, you might say, injustice. Not because they, they, they take money from the poor, but because they function on completely different councils. It is speculative, it is mythological, It's a different doctrine. Somebody posted on the Facebook, and I don't know what your Facebook feed's like, but mine tends to throw theological things at me. It's not my fault. Of Victoria Austin, just speaking raw heresy, that Jesus was a man until God put the Christ seed in him. Hello, isn't Joel Osteen considered to be? Not anymore, because <laughs> it's rank heresy. It's a different doctrine. It's a different doctrine. It says, don't occupy yourselves, charge them not to, because these lies, these inordinate you say, should we never have a discussion about the end times? We're all speculating. Or you say, what would you do if you won the lottery? That kind of discussion. Speculating. Or what about angels? Should you speculate? What about demons? Even more speculating. We were talking about hell yesterday. What about that kind of speculation? When you don't know. Well, the question is, does your... Speaking of hell, demons, angels, end times, whatever the speculative thing is, is it at its ordinate level? Are you dealing with it justly? Are you putting it in its place? Does it weigh the number of grams it's supposed to weigh? That God in his heaven, when he weighs <coughs> a conversation about such a thing, that he knows that you take it at the same level. Because you all know a friend of ours, Dan Smith, uh, brought it up by saying some woman phoned him about this question because some guy had come to a Bible study. I know that's far removed. But he was loaded for bear about universalism. Everybody goes to heaven. And eventually. And he couldn't get off that hobby horse. Yay! Disrupting everything. And people were concerned and calling him for the answer. What do you think of it? Well, first off, you think of it as he was one of those young Turks that, you know, found a, got a new hammer and everything looks like a nail. And so he wants to talk about it all the time. It could be whatever theology you picked up, but you first have to ask yourself, is, that as, is it as important as I'm making it? Because I have got to measure not just the holiness of something, but the comparative, the equitable, where in the ordinate nature of things should I put this? What in my conversation says I should be talking about football all the time? 
I got that amen. <laughs> you occupy yourselves with these myths and speculations. Then he says in verse 5, whereas the aim of our charge is love. Yeah. Another soft focus poster that you can put on your dorm wall. The aim of our charge. Then in a script, love. Exclamation point, St. Paul. You know, I'd rather have that illustration of the nail gun coming into your dorm room and tacking your feet to the floor at certain spots that says, and this is what love is. The issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Now that's what I preached on a year ago. Good conscience, pure heart, and sincere faith. That's what love issues from. So, I don't get to look at a poster that says the word love on it and wait for some sort of feeling about my roommate to kick in. Because, you know, he's a bastard. What I do is I get divine training from pure-heartedness, good conscience, and sincerity of my faith. I have to go build something. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion. The shamefulness of just having the wrong measure. Christian circles, you'd see it all the time. You ever wonder why people get into such fights about such things? Have you wondered whether or not you have such fights about such things? Vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make assertions. Now, as soon as the deeper Christian life is held out to you, the management class, our friendly A-type people, who were told they couldn't do an Office of Standards and Measures earlier, or the Holy and Reverend Order of Bathroom Scales, they immediately, and you know this is true, that the shortest distance between two points is a law. Got to set those rules up, man. You got to learn. We're going to ha- we're going to write up a confession that lets you know what the creed is about the ordinate value. That will tell you. I was in a discussion the other day. One of these discussions I am inevitably in, where we were talking about something biblical, and the guy looked it up in the Westminster Confession of Faith and quoted to me what his position was via the 1600s. I don't know how he managed to get his position into that document, but he didn't seem to know what his position was until he read the document. And certain kind of, I'm not saying they were wrong, they might have been very right. But that's what the management class likes to do with it. The management class likes to have the aim of our charge, okay, we'll write you up a document, you get to study it, and if you're really serious, study it hard, sign it, pass a test on it, swear to it, Rather than say, you you know, I ought to be getting a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. I ought to be measuring the justness of my life. 
And the path to that justice is not the path the management class even understands. It says they, are, they don't understand what they're saying or the things about which they make assertions. Then he says the passage that came to mind, verse 8, Now we know that the law is good if anyone uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just. but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, immoral persons, sodomites, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So I want you to be measuring various access points about your path to becoming one of the just. It's got to be occurring in you, not in a church document. Because that's where good hearts, good consciences, sincere faiths exist. They don't exist in a document. A document can't believe anything. A document can't be good. A document can't be even Christian. The only thing that can be Christian is you. So it's got to occur in you. It's got to occur not via the law. It has got to be a development of this righteousness, this justice in you, this measurement that you understand not what the rule is to not do something. And I've mentioned this passage a number of times in the past few months in 1 Corinthians 6 about not going to prostitutes. And you go, why do I even have to have a discussion about that? Can't Paul just say, don't go to prostitutes? That's the rule. No, he has to explain how a Christian thinks about membership with Christ and how important sex is that you do not have, make yourself a member of a prostitute when you're members of the Lord. Suddenly you start to understand the ordinate measure of your universe and you go, oh, I didn't realize if I fail to realize and I just have a rule, the first thing an infant wants to do is crawl over the rule. Figure some way around the rule. That's not how we... But the, the justice, the, the just, live by their justice. Live by this way of being. That they, they have seen the world the way God has made it. That's why we study the scripture. That's why we converse with each other about the Lord so we could better understand how this universe is. Start to make sense of it. And then we start looking at others and not looking at ourselves. We learn to love what it is to be kind to someone else. Excited about being kind. Not going, oh golly, kindness again. Loving kindness. And walking humbly with God, which it, it's a big, a sight different from the person who who can't wait to impose his own will on the world around him. Now here's another bunch of things that are helpful to us. It says, don't be like this. The law is laid down for the awful people. Okay? The people who are not even bothering. They're, they're following their own will. They're designing the world, lying to themselves about what's going to work. They are murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. Contrary, not laid down for the just, but laid down for the unrighteous. Contrary to whatever is of sound doctrine. 
Now, it's not saying, again, quick, run to the confession, run to your statement of faith, run to your theological moorings or underpinnings. Your measure of whether or not you're just is individual, it's personal. It is based on God and what God has said, because you're walking humbly with him. It can't be contrary to sound doctrine, verse 10 there, verse 11, in accordance with the glorious gospel. It has to be in accord with the gospel that saved you. And I know too many Christians, I think they're really Christians, who don't know what part of the Christian message saved them. They don't even know what the gospel is. What is the good news? I have a poster in the back. I'll tell you if you don't know. And you may have believed it. You may have called on the name of the Lord to be saved. But you're told that that world is not in accordance with the gospel. And given that the word gospel is, you've heard of gospel music. You've heard of gospel music, right? It has nothing to do with the gospel. It's just a name for something. I hear people talking about some absolutely apostate individual and say, you know, he really was uh, preaching the gospel because he was preaching, you know, being good to others. That's not the gospel. Because what is important here, it has to be in accord, can't be contrary to sound doctrine, has to be in agreement with the gospel you believe to salvation. And it lets you know which one, it says, of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Paul's gospel, when he says in Galatians, and some of you are very familiar with this passage because I know I've talked to you about it. Galatians 1. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be cursed. As I have said before, and so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be cursed. It's important for you to be one of the just that the doctrine you rest in is from walking humbly with your God. It has this end result of desiring your world to be patterned the way it actually is in equity, in ordinate value. And that it agrees with the message that our Christianity laid out for us in doctrine, in teaching, rooted in the salvific nature of our message as taught by the apostles. Where even the apostles felt they were under the authority. says, even if I came to you and said something different, I should be damned. The the, The apostles don't get to make it up. The apostles passed it on. So you'll look at what the message they said you should believe, is what you're structuring in your world, rooted in the gospel, rooted in the ways of God, rooted in that kind of sound teaching. It says in 1 John, these are passages I did not put in my notes because I didn't think of them at that point. 
They are of the world, therefore what they say is of the world, and the world listens to them. We are of God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and he who is not of God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. That's 1 John 4. He's talking about the apostles. He's saying, you know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error by who listens to the apostles. He says, I was entrusted with this gospel, this glorious gospel. It has to be in accord with this glorious gospel. I can't be out of accord with it, but it's the one I preach to you, which you believed, by which you are saved, if you hold it fast. When you, when you say things are equitable, when you say things are measured out, you don't have a foregone conclusion. You don't get to say, and I want everything to be unicorns and equality. The world isn't equal. Stuff isn't equal. Ideas aren't equal. Your truth isn't as good as anyone else's truth. Your ideas don't get to be right because you hold them, even though you're God's little precious butterfly. You could be dead wrong or just not important. And your idea might not be very important. Equitable, ordinate, measured is to find out how big it is. Find out how important it is. How much you should stress it. Should you even give it up? You're adjusting. That's what justice does. You adjust to meet the right measure. That's why they say things like, one cuts, the other chooses. Because in that measure, when you have a piece of cake and you're going to cut it in half, you let one guy cut, and if he knows the other guy gets to choose the piece first, he's going to, by molecule, be absolutely accurate. Because you're going to share the piece equitably. The piece legitimately goes equitably to each person. One. But if it's not two adults choosing the two sides of a piece of cake, but it's a mom and her four-year-old, and she knows she's mom, and that's a four-year-old. Four-year-old's just going to smash it all over the plate. So I'm going to cut little four-year-old a thin slice. She gets the big slice. Doesn't have to be even, because it's a different question. Find the measure. Deal with it equitably. Measure it in you. This is the way you have to think. If you don't want the law, if you don't want to be need to have a church that gives you rules because you can't seem to get your pants on one leg at a time and walk down the street one foot and another without your shoes being untied, if you're a shameful creature who can't seem to get your stuff together because you've walked in the councils of Omri, yeah, you might just not might might not be one of the just and you might not be one of the righteous and that's what ungodly people need. They need the rules. That's why you have governments. Because there's mostly ungodly people out there. You've got to design this and you've got to design it in you. I thank him who has given me strength for this. Christ Jesus our Lord because he judged me faithful by appointing me to his service. Though I formerly blasphemed and persecuted and insulted him, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That the saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance. 
you might want to jot this down as one of the ordinate uh, points on your compass, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Sure and worthy of full acceptance. It's like being in accord with the gospel. Jesus died to save evil people. And I am the foremost of sinners, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience for an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Now, when you think about becoming one of the just, realize that it's not just you going to tighten your jockey shorts up really tight so you'll just be so precise, so insistent, no matter what conversation, you're parsing out every phrase and giving people a headache. Because you've got to also love kindness. This is not just you being Johnny Wright. You get to be, you know, I struggle with that. Being right all the time. It's a gift and a curse. Because there's more to being right. My father always reminded us, because we Wilson boys always were sons of thunder about it. Um, you can be wrong being right. And being right needs to step toward loving kindness and walking humbly with your God. Think of leaning outward on your knees. Being absolutely right about your world, but because you're on your knees before your God, you are humble before the way he wants it. You lean outward towards other people. And I like the idea that you smile when you do it. This is something that is um, this hymn we sang, I think you requested the wonderful grace of Jesus, was it? Was it you? Who did? You did. Wonderful grace of Jesus. Think about that for a moment. Sure, it's a Baptist rousing song, but it's a wonderful grace of Jesus. You have give, been given this opportunity like very few other people in this world, the, 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 the few, as Doug was saying, this is a mega church to him, so try to act like you got some, something going on here. We've got an opportunity to understand the living God and the world he made. This is wonderful grace. It, even though it sounds a little silly to set aside your sin and shame in a little, a few notes, but that's what it is. Our sin and shame have been set aside. It's a wonderful grace of Jesus. Let's thank him. Dear Lord, we are grateful that you are king, you are our creator, you are the designer of all things, you are the judge, the living and the dead. We want to come to you humbly, holding to your gospel, believing in your ways, understanding what you have designed your world to be so that we could stand among the just and not need punishments and laws. that were moved by your ideas, by your spirit, by your kindness, and we become your children like your son, Jesus Christ. We are grateful that you have designed such a happy faith. Keep us working toward it. In your son's name we pray. Amen.